Hello and welcome to The Long Leash. Today we speak with an author, an animal behaviorist, an actor, a playwright, and a lightning-fast fiction writer, and it's all in the persona of one person, Amy Shojai. Amy is living her childhood dream and penning thrillers from a dog's point of view. Writing about dogs is such a great job, and she's been doing it for quite a while. She is one of the most prolific dog or pet authors out there, and so I am so delighted to introduce you to someone whose books you may very well have on your bookshelf, Amy Shojai. Amy Sojai, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So I have known you and followed your career for a while, but this is the first time we've spoken. I think the first time I heard about you was with uh, Mark Victor Hansen, Jack Canfield's book, Chicken Soup for the, I think, Dog Lover's Soul. Was that, you, you were a contributor to that, Oh, right. right. A long time ago. Right. I was an editor uh, on that one and then on The Cat Lover's Soul, too. My, my friend Marty Becker invited me to come in on those projects. That, a lot of fun. So you have been writing about dogs and cats for a number of years now. How long has it been? Yeah, I tell people in dog years I should be dead um, <laughs> because it has been, I published my first book, The Cat Companion, in 1992. Okay. And before that, I was writing for the Pet Press, the magazines, Cat Fancy, Dog Fancy, Dog World. All, they've all gone away now. But, uh, you know, back in the day when we had actual physical magazines, that's where I got my start. And you, I think, were the founder of the Cat Writers Association of America, right? Right. One one of the founders. There were four of us, and I think, okay. and I think I'm the only one that's still a member. So they can't get rid of me. There you go. And the good thing is, you have allegiance to both dogs and cats. And of course, for our listeners, there is a Dog Writers Association of America. Absolutely. Yes. Because we're we're the Dog Podcast Network, so we're agnostic about cats. We know that some people love them, and then some <laughs> people are just more dog lovers. But we're focusing on those who have dogs on the show. So which came first, your love of animals or your love of writing? Oh, that's hard to say. I remember writing my very first book. I think I was in second or third grade, and I <laughs> illustrated it myself and bound it with shoestrings. Mm -hmm. And it was a, almost a direct ripoff of Beautiful Joe for your listeners that maybe remember that, that book. Sure. But I've always always loved animals. I was a reader first. So I went through the um, the libraries and I would go through all of the dog books, the uh, Albert Pace and Terhune, Collie stories and, you know, Beautiful Joe and then horse stories as well. Mm -hmm. You know, Black Beauty and Misty of Chincoteague, all of, all of those. And I just kind of started, you know, and read all the way through those. When I ran out of those, then I started reading other things. But um, I've been a reader forever and just loved animals. Um, my mom even told me that uh, when I was a little girl, people would say, well, you know, is that, does Amy play with, you know, baby dolls? And she says, no, she plays with stuffed animals. And when Amy grows up, she's not going to have babies. She's going to have puppy dogs and kitty cats. And my mom was right. So, uh, you know, all of our Kids here have fur. Have fur and, and four legs. That's right. Or, well, our last dog lost one leg. So we even have, we've had a tripod 
as well. So they don't necessarily have to have all their fur or all their legs. We love them anyway. I love it. So your mom was very prescient even when you were a kid. She knew that this was going to be where you spent your life and your career. Well, and mom actually, yeah, when uh, just a real quick aside, when I first started working as a vet tech and I'd come home and I would tell all of these stories about that had happened, you know, the personal experience, things that had happened. And mom was the one that said, you need to write those down. So Mm. she is also the reason that I started writing about cats and dogs. Okay. So mom had had been an influence. She knew that you were an animal lover and then kind of helped to guide you into the writing. When did you decide, because you've written 30, 40 books? Uh, yeah, something like that. The bio, I think, says 35 plus because I'm not yeah. sure exactly how many. They aren't all in print anymore, but yeah. And then countless articles and blog posts. And so you are a prolific writer. Do you ever get bored with <laughs> an assignment when it has to, like, I have to write about the incredible connection between people and dogs? Yay. Well, no, it's more like, how many ways can you write about fleas? Mm, I mean, it's, (laughs) you know, um, I've done the vampire story angle. I've done, I mean, there's so many different ways you can do it. And you start at some point to plagiarize yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a great website called Mm copyscape.com where you can copy what you have written and put it in there. And it will, it will tell you where else it shows up. So you can find out not only, where other people are picking up your stuff and putting it in theirs. But you can also say, oh, I've already published this somewhere else. I better rewrite this <laughs> so I don't get myself in trouble. That is funny. You copyscape your own writing because you've been doing oh, yeah. it for so long that you don't want to be <laughs> you don't want to have a copyright <laughs> violation against something that you wrote I, earlier. Against that, myself. Right, right. Right. That is so funny. So when you Get those types of assignments, because some of them are things that you initiate yourself and some are works for hire that people are hiring you for. Do you like have to gear yourself up in a way other than making sure that you're not, you know, being duplicative of other content? How do you keep it fresh? Well, in my world, often I uh, I bring my own pets into it and that kind of keeps it fresh. So if I had If I'm doing a story on cancer, then I now have a personal experience that I can use to to imbue that with emotion and with kind of some insight how people might need to deal with that. Or if I have, you know, a story about um, cats missing the litter box, then I can I can again, I can use personal experience stories or how I overcame that. So I think that and it kind of puts a furry face. On the story too, so that it's not just talking about an idea. You actually have an animal that you can say. In fact, that's the way I started writing for fancy publications, the personal experience stories. And fancy is the publisher of, you know, cat fancy, dog fancy. Right, right. And I think then they became bow tie or mm-hmm. something. Uh, but they would be bookmarked with personal experience stories. So it would open up with Foxy, the Pomeranian that just chewed through an electrical cord, you know, oh my gosh, you know, he's, he's pale. He's, he's not breathing. We take him to the veterinarian, what's going on. And then you segue into what does the electric, you know, the shock do? How can you prevent that? All that. And then at the end, 
the end of that bookmark is how did Foxy overcome this? So it's it's a way for writers to kind of give a satisfying feel to it, but it also, as I said, puts a personal slant on it. So it's not just this um, esoteric idea floating around out there. As a writer, do you ever get writer's block? Do you ever just stare at that white page or I guess these days that white computer screen and go, I don't know where to start? Yeah. Um, I hadn't until this past year and a half or so. And uh, with the pandemic. And what all, happened to this last year or half? I was going to say, what, what a coincidence. Everything. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> that kind of threw a lot of us for a loop. And I had, um, I had started work on the next thriller and I just could not get through it. And then things would happen like, you know, just as the pandemic started, my, my Bravo dog started limping Mm. and we postponed going to the vet because, you know, they weren't open. They weren't letting us in and all of that. And once we did go in, they gave us pain meds, you know, he's a big dog. He probably just, you know, sprained something. Well, ultimately it, it was bone cancer. And so osteosarcoma. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so during the pandemic, we were taking him for his treatments, the leg amputation, the chemotherapy, all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We gave him a good nine more months, but we lost him during the pandemic. And I'm trying to write a book about pets Mm -hmm. that are the main characters at the same time. And I, I finally, I just shut it down and said, I, I have to, take some time and, you know, take care of me before I can go into this fictional world where, and I love writing fiction because I can make the bad guys pay and none of the animals ever die. So that's, uh-huh. you know, I love the the fiction part of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to talk about fiction in a moment, but let's talk a little bit about some of these coping mechanisms that you came up with mm-hmm. to help overcome the writer's block when you were dealing with you know, your dog who became a tripod, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. And what are some of the things that you did to, you know, for personal care just to to keep you on track and sane? Well, you know, James, it was real interesting because we were not planning to get another pet. And the weekend that we got his diagnosis and we knew, you know, in the next little bit, he was going to have to lose his leg. Mm -hmm. My husband went outside. We live on about uh, 13 acres here in North Texas, and he was mowing. And he came inside and he said, Amy, you got to come out. There's a stray puppy out here. And somebody had dumped mm. a puppy. And, you know, we were not planning to get anything, but here's this little puppy that, that needs a home. And it's the middle of the pandemic. The shelters are not taking any, any one anyway. He was about, oh, I think he was about 11 or 12 weeks old. And so we named him Shadow. Bravo's shadow. And he was our comfort puppy. And he got his big buddy through it. He got me through it. And, you know, he's still here. He's, he's over there somewhere. Probably. We hear him walking around. (laughs) You hear him probably. So, uh, and he's, he's a a Kelpie wannabe. So he Uh. herds the cat (laughs) and, uh, you know, he's so smart. I mean, Bravo was sweet, maybe a little slow. He was smart, but he was a little slow and just a wonderful, easygoing guy. This guy is sharp and he will outthink you. And he's just what I needed to get out of myself. Mm-hmm. And he made us laugh and made us smile during some some tough times. And I think that's what we need mm. is kind of those 
what I call those unexpected gifts. Mm-hmm. We didn't know we needed him, but somebody knew we needed him. So this whole pandemic, you basically had a pandemic puppy just literally dropped in your backyard. Uh, we did. This role of pandemic pups has been a, th- a big theme in the media. Do you think it's been overhyped or or no? Uh, no, I think I think it has been a blessing. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the the first time in my memory, the uh, shelters emptied, mm-hmm. and as far as I'm aware, they're not being sent back into mm-hmm. the shelters. People fell in love. They they needed something, and found a way to express that love and to have a relationship when we couldn't outside of the home. And I think that's that's a wonderful gift, and it and I think it's maybe been a nice compensation for all of the, excuse me, all of the hell that we had to go through. And we can say, you know, this is my pandemic puppy. This is my pandemic kitty. And uh, we can remember those times and they got us through some tough times. I don't know. I think, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I think maybe we'll remember this. I hope we will remember the lessons that we've learned going through all of this. You know, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I wish I wish I knew why, but uh, there, there's there got to be a reason in some of this. Well, dogs and, and cats have been very helpful for so many people throughout this, especially, I mean, you're home all the time as a writer, yeah. but so many people who were suddenly thrust into staying home needed a little extra companionship, and the dog was very happy to, to provide that companionship. Yes, and go on Zoom with us, and <laughs> whether we wanted to or not, or... Uh, <laughs> That's that's the one kind of downside is when people needed to go back to work. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of um, behavior consults and helping people even on the blog what to expect. You know, you've been home 24-7 with them for months and months and months, and now they've never known anything different. Now you're going back to work. Is there going to be some separation behaviors that you're going to have to deal with? How can you prepare for that? So uh, I think as long as you're well-prepared, there's no problem, but you do need to anticipate that because there were a lot of pandemic puppies that were first time pet lovers. Mm-hmm. So, so this was all new to them. How, how about you, James? Did you have a pandemic puppy? Uh, we had two dogs that we had throughout. And then one of our dogs got oral melanoma, also a cancer. And it oh. is was really, really, really tough. And I, we spend a lot of time focusing on dog cancer. I have a whole show called Dog Cancer Answers. And so to go through it and to see it, you know, close up and then with all the limitations of the pandemic was yeah. extra special. I've spoken to a lot of veterinarians and, and just everything has changed in pet care throughout the pandemic. But the one consistent thing is the dogs have been really happy to to spend as much time as they can with us. So it's kind of good in that realm. Right, right. So in addition to writing, and we'll talk about your fiction work in a bit, but in addition to writing, you you said you do these consults because you are a CABC, a Certified Animal Behavioral <laughs> Consultant, which always throws me when I see someone's initials. They think they're some sort of a Canadian broadcaster. <laughs> what is a CABC and how long have you been doing it? And tell me about it. Okay. I'm, I'm certified through the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a body of pet professionals that have a special interest in behavior. Veterinary behaviorists, of course, are veterinarians. 
And there are also psychologists who also have an interest in animal behavior. So those are PhD behaviorists. Our group, for the most part, do not have higher degrees. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a matter of we have we have studied or we have that experience and have done continuing education in order to be that that bridge between the human and the animal part of the family. So that if there's a disagreement, we can kind of interpret, well, this is why your puppy is doing that, or this is why your cat. There are parrot behaviorists. There are horse behaviorists. There are people that uh, specialize in behavior issues of the uh, animals that are uh, service animals, because Mm -hmm. that's a whole nother issue. They can have burnout too. They can have PTSD also. So there's a whole variety of people there that have that expertise. And I've been doing this well without the CABC probably <laughs> for for much, much longer. Um, and I, I'm trying to remember when when I actually became certified because it's been a long time. <laughs> I'm not I'm not it's been, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, something. I'm not sure how long it's been. Well, it's really interesting. You are the second media personality. We'll take you'll take that moniker, right? You're 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 an author. You're oh, a media sure. person. Uh, <laughs> you're the second media personality. Steve Dale being the first that I've met. Who oh is yeah, a CABC. Yeah, I like Steve. Um, and Steve is a does radio, and he's in Chicago, I think, and does syndicated shows and stuff like that, and also a newspaper column. And it's kind of interesting to have built an audience of pet enthusiasts through the mass media, and then be able to connect one-on-one through this type of consulting work. What's that been like for you? Uh, It's interesting, and I love doing it. It takes a lot of time, and so I don't have nearly as much time to devote as I would like to. Yeah, you can see that's shadow over there. Uh, (laughs) I do more cat consults actually, than I do the dog ones. That I think there are more certified animal dog behavior consultants mm. than there are for cats. And so I do a lot of cat consulting, oftentimes by Zoom or by telephone, because mm. the thing is with cats, if you go into their home, suddenly it's like, stranger danger. Oh my God, somebody's in my house. I'm going to act really weird now. I'm going under the bed. You'll never see me. And I can't help them. Yeah. So if I do it by phone and I get video, then I can see what is actually going on. Oh, I see. And going into the into dogs' households, there are a lot more dog trainers available, dog behavior people available. And so I don't really get that many of those calls. I did just recently have a consult with a lady that had two cats and they wanted to adopt a dog. And so it was integrating the dog, Mm. beautiful German shepherd into this cat household and how to do that. And I've done that with my own animals. And that's one of the areas I really like. So, because they're so different, but they're so fun. They're so unique. What's the most interesting consulting situation that you had to, to work with? Oh, I get a lot of litter box problem with cats, but I had one, I had one that I was really pleased with. And it was kind of a, a mystery thing. You have to be kind of a pet detective with some of these. Uh, it was a pair of Siamese cats 
that were best friends and suddenly hated each other. Hmm. And what we figured out had happened was one of the cats loved to sleep in the uh, laundry basket. And it was like a, a fabric sling that he slept in. And the other cat, you know, was apparently, they found it collapsed. And what, what we figured out probably happened was the cat was sleeping in this sling when the other cat either walked by or was underneath or something and it collapsed and fell on him. And now suddenly the cats are associating each other with this scary, awful situation. So we had to start over with reintroductions. And it was a very, very dedicated pet lovers. Mm -hmm. And over a period of about three months, reintroduced them. And they're, they're finally, they're doing great again. But it had to do with leash training and uh, positive associations of each other's presence. And, you know, cats take a long time. Dogs will kind of follow our lead. Mm-hmm. Dogs really are kind of human beings with fur, but cats are space aliens and you have to kind of think think in their terms. They're very different species. They want different things out of life. So you have to kind of get yourself into their paws and figure things out. I am with you on that for sure. So do you think of yourself <laughs> as a pet whisperer, a pet psychologist, a Dr. Doolittle? I'm a behavior consultant. That's it. I do not play veterinarian on TV or yeah. anything. You know, I can I can talk the talk and walk the walk, but yeah, I want to be real careful. Probably the best term would be pet advocate. Mm. How much of it is the psychology of like, well, this is the way a cat is probably thinking, or this is the way your beagle is probably thinking. Yeah, that's that's a lot of it. And again, kind of come from where the animal is coming from. And remember, they are animals. Mm -hmm. They're not humans. They're not necessarily doing this out of jealousy or spite or anything else. This is a species-specific behavior. It's often the behaviors that really hiss us off the worse are normal mm -hmm. to the dog or the cat. You know, whether whether they're the dog's humping your leg or the cat is, you know, using your leg as a scratching post, those are species-specific things. And in a way, they're backhanded compliments. What's the difference between a dog trainer and a CABC? Dog trainer teaches commands, you know, sit, stay, walk on the leash properly. A behavior consultant deals more with the problems behind that. And oftentimes it's the emotional baggage that may be causing some of those things. So it's, you know, a trainer can do both. And I, I know some trainers that are incredible and they're very intuitive and they probably should be behaviorist as well because they're mm -hmm. doing that. They're doing that too. A lot of it's just labels. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's diff it depends on the person, how they describe themselves, because there are different trainers that do different things and train in different ways. You're a dog expert and you, you know that there are different, I mean, if you get two or three dog trainers together in a room, they're going to agree on maybe minus 5% of things. Right. They all have their own way of doing things. Right. Uh, so, you know, the behavior is dissecting what the behavior is, why the animal is doing it. If it's objectionable, how can we adjust that behavior so that it's compatible with living with a human? And dog trainers tend to be more, you know, I'm going to train you to do X, Y, Z. 
Got it. Amy, we are going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to go back to writing and talk a little bit about how you have evolved from being a purely nonfiction writer to doing some fiction. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. The green, grassy, beef liver spiked smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpup traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. Does it roll back time? Of course not. Not really. But it helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day. Because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back to The Long Leash. We're speaking with Amy Shojai. Let's talk about this fiction writing that you have been doing. You've written a few best-selling works of fiction, and they involve, hey, pets. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, true confession time. I wanted to be a novelist Mm -hmm. from the beginning, and I could not get anybody interested in my fiction. And, uh, in fact, I had submitted a manuscript to a quite well-known agent and she turned me down because it was it was a it was a young adult horror story this was years and years ago and she said Amy I'm sorry nobody buys young adult and this was pre <laughs> Harry Potter of course But she said because I had a little bio and she said but if you ever decide you want to write nonfiction let me know mm-hmm. and so she became my my agent and I wrote lots and lots of nonfiction books with her and, uh, you know, was quite successful. And then the internet happened and all of a sudden Dr. Google will answer all your questions. Who needs a book? Mm-hmm. And my agent could no longer find good deals for me for the nonfiction books. So I thought, well, you know, the nonfiction isn't selling. I've always wanted to write fiction. What a better time to do that than, than now. And so about, gosh, it's been maybe 
eight or nine years ago now, I think, Mm -hmm. I wrote the fiction story I had always wanted to read. This was a story that included dog viewpoint. And I had always been told by editors and agents, that's kids stuff. You can't do that for children's books. For Well, no, I did not want to write a children's book. I wanted to write a full-blown adult thriller, but with dog viewpoint, the way it, not a talking dog, but the way a dog would perceive his world. And that's the first book. And then readers liked it and wanted more. Yeah. What's the name of that book? The title? Lost and Found was the first book. We've had Dean Koontz on this show, and uh, yes, oh, I love Dean Koontz, and he has also done it. Yeah, so he's you know you're in you're in good company there. Well, and James Rollins has done it. James yeah. Rollins gave me a wonderful cover quote for for the book for Lost and Found, and the premise starts out: a young autistic boy becomes lost in a blizzard, mm-hmm. and his service dog is with him, mm-hmm. and I hadn't a clue how to write the viewpoint of an autistic child. And so whenever they're together, I put it in the dog's viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And so the dog would have not dialogue, but he would have um, thoughts that, you know, why are they staring at me? They don't look away the way a polite dog should, you know, and uh, he smelled like scary smoke from, you know, cigarettes. So all of the, all of the ways that I imagine that a dog might perceive his world that's what I put in there. And people absolutely loved it. And I loved it too. So that was even better. <laughs> and you have a new book that is coming out in a few months. What's she working on? Yes. Uh, Lost and Found was the first book. There are five books in the series right now. Book number six called Win or Lose will release on January 2nd. And it's available right now for pre-order on all ebook platforms. So people can look that up too. So let's talk a little bit about the evolution of consumption of pet-related media as you talk about ebooks. You know, as you say, you know, and I, I can't believe she was your agent for that long. When you first went into this and you got an agent and you said, I want to do young adult fiction, and and they said, There's no market for that. Themes and topics change in terms of what's hot, but as does the platform, whether it is hardcover, paperback, you know, I think Chicken Soup for the Soul, which we started with at one point, had sold more copies of their books collectively than than the Bible or, or something like that. But then that kind of evaporated with ebooks and stuff like that. So how have you seen this change in preferences, partly based on technology and, and preferences, change your what you write? That's a great question. And and you're right that trends change. Today, you can do more of an instant book than you ever could in the past. Uh, In the past, the recommendation was don't chase trends. Mm -hmm. Because by the time you write your book, according to the trend, it's gone. Now, today with the eBooks, it is very much an instantaneous thing. If you can write really, really fast, you hit publish, it is available in 24 to 48 hours. And if you find a mistake in the book, you can correct it. And it's corrected <laughs> in 24 to 4, which is beautiful. But I was dragged kicking and screaming into the ebook revolution. I wish I had listened to people, to me. You know, I grew up in the, the era as a writer that self-publishing was a dirty word. Mm-hmm. 
Vanity press is what they used to call it, right? Vanity press. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, working with my agent and all of my books came out in hardcover first and then paperback. And, and then a lot of them went out of print mm-hmm. and I was fortunate. <laughs> hey, settle. Is this dog? We, a, dog somebody, podcast network. We, we always have at least one bar. I know. Yeah. Come here, baby. Um, <laughs> so to me, uh, you know, a lot of the books then went out of print. And I was fortunate that the editor or the agent that I had then got my rights back Mm. so that I had all of these books. I had five or six books that were out of print that when the ebook revolution came all around, I edited, brought them up to date, re-released them. They already had cover quotes. They already had a following. They already had reviews. And so for the nonfiction, for me, that was great. The Ebooks are easy to publish. It's easy to do. I also do my own audiobooks. I have my own recording studio here that uh, takes forever, yeah. but I do those as well and try successfully or not to do some of the, the different voices. In another world, I'm an actor. So I write, I'm a playwright and do, you know, produce playwrights. <laughs> plays as well. Easily bored. You asked me that earlier. And uh, whenever I get bored, I try something new. So, you know, I love that things change. And when you talk to some of the really well-known authors out there, they will tell you, I have reinvented myself X number of times. Mm -hmm. You know, when Stephen King was really, really hot, horror was hot. And then suddenly horror, you can't sell it. And now Horror became vampires right. with sparkly vampires, and then that's hot. And then, you know, so it's this constant evolution. Young adult you sparkly vampires. Adult sparkly vampires, yes. So um, as long as it keeps changing, I, I think that's healthy. I think that's good. During the pandemic, it was a great time to be a writer because people had nothing else to do a lot of times. Mm. A lot of people were reading, a lot of people listening to audiobooks. It's slowed down somewhat now because people had to go back to their real job. But I think it's wonderful. The more ways that you can deliver that story and that entertainment, the better. And that's one reason I got into writing fiction. Some of my reviews on the fiction, people will say, oh, that's why my dog does X, Y, Z. Or I didn't know that you could train a cat. Mm -hmm. You know, book number five, I have a cat that is a search and rescue cat. Tracks down missing cats. Of course. Because dogs scare the missing cat. Yeah. You know, and it's all based, it's all based on truth. I mean, there are, there are cats that are actually doing the work now. So it's a great way to educate a group of readers that will never, ever want to pick up a nonfiction book. And you, in addition to writing books and doing theater and playwriting, you have done some podcasts, right? Yes, yes. You still do a podcast or no? Not not anymore. I did around 90 or so with mm-hmm. um pet peeves. What hisses you off? And what hisses you? <laughs> you know yeah. about about it was and it was a lot of fun, but I got so busy with the writing it was like something has to give. Yeah. So, you know, someday probably I'll bring that back. I did bring my first fiction book, Lost and Found. I turned the uh, audiobook into a podcast. So it's a serial, and people can get that for free if they want to look for that. Um, and we'll put the link to that in the show notes. 
Oh, okay. But you know, I'd love I'd love to do it again sometime. I love talking to people and learning from people, but it's takes a little bit of time. So well, and you also have a blog because you know life isn't full enough for you. Tell us about it. It has a, a fun title. Yes, yes. Bling Bitches and Blood is my blog. And it's uh, at amyshajai.com. So people can, you know, dial me up there. And it covers uh, I like bling. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I'm not wearing an awful lot of jewelry right now. James asked me to muffle my jewelry because I would jingle. <laughs> it was clanking along, and I didn't it want our clanking. editor to have to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where the bling comes in. I actually, I have a rhinestone pin that says number one bitch on it because if you're going to be, you'd want to be number one. Mm-hmm. Got it at the dog show, and I wear it to book signing events, and people <gasps> are aghast, and then they love it. So bling bitches is because i write about dogs and cats blood is the thriller part of it so i cover all three of those things also sometimes i'll post something from my youtube channel singing or uh an ask amy video they're real quick like two to four minute question answer things that people send in questions and i make something up to answer them and it's it's just fun it's fun and uh You'll see pictures of my pets there. I started blogging probably 20 years ago. Two or three times I would start blogging and quit Hmm. because I couldn't keep it up. And I finally, finally figured out how to do it and to keep it up. And um, that's where, uh, you know, plagiarizing myself comes in because I can can do a blog and then I can turn it into a newspaper column and then I can do something, you know, and it doesn't compete with itself. So you've become a content machine. You figured out the mechanics and, and made a nice little career in the process, Amy. Sure, sure. And, you know, I've, I've got friends that have repurposed blog content into books. So if people are listening out there and are working on a blog, think about that too, little essays. When you're looking at that blank screen, used to be blank page, right. looking at the blank screen and you think, oh my gosh, I've got 150, 250 pages to write. Do it one chapter at a time or one column at a time. And it adds up. You do one every day and 365 days, you've got a book. Amy, what is next for you? I'm going to sleep for a while. <laughs> no, it's um, probably, probably I need to do the audiobook for the new win or lose fiction. And um, that will come after I get the manuscript back from my editor and make sure that all the typos and everything are done. I have to add some more information in because I do, for the fiction, each book I do a name that dog or name that cat contest. And it goes to my newsletter subscribers and they get to nominate their pet their pet's name, what the dog or the cat looks like, what kind of things that they do. And then they get to vote on the top 15 or 20. Uh And the winners end up being heroes in the book. So win or lose ended up, I'm going to have four heroes because the two runners up were in such close contention with the others. But my, my winning dog is, and you'll love this, is a tripod Great Pyrenees. That is wonderful. And the winning cat is a tiger cat. And then the second runner-up is a German short hair pointer. And the runner-up cat is named Stormageddon <laughs> because he was born during a storm. 
So these are, <laughs> no, I tell awesome. them what, kind of what the characters are going to have to do. And then they nominate their animals. And these, oh my goodness, they had, for the dogs, they had probably close to 8,000 votes for the winner. That was my next question. How engaged, you know, what kind of numbers are you looking at in terms of? Lots of numbers. And that was not nearly as engaged as the book before. Hit and Run had 15,000 votes wow. total. And of course, then the winner, not only they get their pet's name in it, but they also, in the acknowledgments, they get their real name of the owner. And they get a print copy of the book that's paw to graft and sent Aww. to them as soon as the print book comes out. So it's it's a lot of fun for, for me and for them. And then they get to have bragging rights, too. That's pretty awesome. So as we said at the top of the show, you've been doing this for, for decades. Do you see yourself ever retiring? No. <laughs> Well, what would I do? I mean, I'm doing now what I love to do. I would, um, you know, I've got, I've got some projects that I'd like to do. So you ask what I'm going to do next. I may take some time off. I've got some stained glass lampshades that I want to finish <laughs> doing. So I do, I do stained glass on the side also. And in uh, your spare time, do you ever in sleep? In my spare time, yes, I bleed. I bleed for my art, and so you know, I'd like to. I need to order the glass and get that done, but I've got the designs. So yeah, easily bored. Well, Amy Shojai, <laughs> thank you so much for being with us. You are an inspiration to anyone who wants to marry their two passions of content creation and a love for animals. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This is great fun. I'm so pleased that you decided to tune in today and to join us for this conversation with Amy Shojai. She is an extraordinarily prolific person, and we have a list of all of her books, and you can find those in the show notes for today's episode. And you can always find those show notes on our website at longleashshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to please follow us in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. And if you would, please do me a favor and tell a friend about The Long Leash. It helps us grow this podcast and our podcast network. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I want to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Aloha.